0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I am a Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As many of you who are listening regularly will know at this point, we have three different types of podcasts. We have our seminar series where we provide opportunities to listen back to some of the most important presentations at past events we've held. We have our 10-minute lesson series where we try to educate and inform listeners particular areas of policy, just giving brief overviews, a snapshot, somewhere in the range of 8 to 15 minutes, hitting on the key points that we think people need to know. And then we have our interview series where we chat to experts in a range of policy areas. So this week is one of those. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Amy Lejoy to chat through a task report that she authored last year called Exploring Household Debt in Ireland, the Burden of Non-Mortgage Debt and Opportunities, To support low-income households. So she talks to me about debt, access to credit, especially for those on low incomes, and the Money Made Sense programme that arose from the recommendations of the report. Also apologies in advance for the little bit of glitch on the sound. However, I do hope that you enjoy it. Amy, we're going to go right the way back to a report that you published early last year, is that correct? around uh yes march 2020 yeah march 2020 and you were looking it's called exploring debt or household debt in ireland and it's specifically looking at non-mortgage debt which i think was really important because there's a lot written about mortgage arrears and over indebtedness with mortgage and housing costs and this was a really interesting piece i suppose looking at the other types of debt that households in ireland have so what was the what was the impetus why why? I suppose is usually my first question with these things. Why Why look at this particular aspect of, of debt? Yeah, I think
1: that's always a good place to start, right? The why behind any sort yeah. of piece of research is really important. Just to speak speaking voter, I wasn't involved in the original sort of application for this was a commissioned piece of commissioned work that Task had. Uh, I was sort of brought in to do the research. And what was great is that we had sort of the flexibility, even from the very beginning, to shape Um, the report in terms of what I was seeing, just sort of delving into the literature review and the context and speaking with people. And I think I would agree with you. I think a lot of literature and a lot of conversation and discourse in Ireland around debt, you know, closely linking back to the, the financial crisis, you know, is about mortgage debt. It's kind of usually central. And what we have is, you know, I'm sure you're very aware is an increasing population of people that are um, you know, have other forms of debt outside of mortgage, and there's many reasons for that. You know, people are entering, um, they're buying their homes much later. We are in the middle and of a persistent sort of housing crisis that's been around for a few years now. And I just thought it would be really interesting to focus on the experiences of of, of people, not necessarily you know who are able to access a mortgage, but also um, the other forms of debt that are there because you know consumer debt. Uh, as uh, you may know, Owen McGee um, from How, How to Be Good to Money, he, he calls it a uh, crappy debt, you know, um, versus happy debt. So this, because this is, you know, a persistent issue and it has been for for a while here, but I don't think it's discussed nearly enough. But it was great to have that ability in starting the project. And then when I was able to start speaking with some, you know, money advisors for MABS, um, I was really in other kind of experts in the area of credit unions and, you know, financial advisors, it just kind of came forth as um, they are very interested in this as well and very, um, you know, supportive of this kind of direction of the report. So, yes, yeah, that was the rationale there. It's been really interesting to rethink kind of our definitions of debt in general, you know, to not just focusing very kind of narrowly on what debt is and how it impacts us.
0: You have what you call it here is problem debt. And I think that's really important. Debt in and of itself is not a bad thing. Being in debt Mm -hmm. isn't a problem. Being in debt isn't an issue. Being over indebted uh, having problem debt, having debt that either by servicing it, you're impacting on your quality of life or your inability to service it impacts on your quality of life. So, there anything kind of cropped out at you in terms of people's inability maybe to manage their debt? Yeah, it was the way that
1: debt,
0: you know, reframing
1: debt as very closely linked to wider structural norms and issues. I, I think debt is oftentimes seen as a, it's quite siloed, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's its own thing, even problem debt. And there's lots of blame that's placed on individual behaviors. I just fundamentally disagree. And I think hopefully that came across in the report that we need to be thinking differently, other than just individual blame. I think it's just, you know, Irish. where this happens, I think it's, it's a lot of um, context as well. So it was about, you know, very much framing problem debt within sort of this wider System of structures, you know, financial access, which or financial exclusion, which is massive and um, still persistent issue, cost of living, cost of housing, and income level, which of course I'm sure you've done research on that as well. So level of income that someone has, and then and then kind of branching it wider, and something that we we discuss a lot in the training is just that the ability to access certain products and to know. What's out there and what's available so it's it was all of those things sort of coming together and uh i do think that um yeah it's really important to just not see debt as this thing over here um like very separate from all of our other kind of financial responsibilities all debt is especially even problem debt, it's just, it's a financial commitment right it's over half of all people living in ireland have some form of debt so it's, it should be very normal there shouldn't be stigma it's only in those circumstances where death becomes a problem. And with that shame, you might have people that wouldn't necess- access services and supports because of that shame. So about kind of challenging that all the time as well.
0: When we're talking about financial capability, the narrative is, well, if we teach you how to manage your money and we teach you how to access financial products correctly, if you fail in that, if you end up being overburdened, that's a personal failure. and With personal failure comes shame. It's that conversation about... I think shame plays such a huge part of it that it's seen as an individual failing isn't it to be over indebted did that that come across a lot in the work that you did
1: yes definitely and I think that that's probably I think you raised a really important problem with that term financial capability as well this kind of even financial literacy and I discussed a little bit in, in the report and I've actually learned a lot since um about sort of the progression of those terms and uh you have now kind of financial resilience which if you're you know familiar with yes. the literature has kind of come forth the new sort of um, yes. buzzword which i think is a much more interesting concept because you're taking you're taking on board those structures as well it's, it's about building that person's resilience to make not only to know where to go but to have products available that people can access in times of crisis yes. uh, which i think is really key i think we need a complete of rethinking sometimes of our entire financial system and, and our institutions. And I, I think with the, even if we could bring it forward a bit to COVID, uh, what we saw in terms of the government supports, the policy supports during, um, at, when the pandemic hit, it was more, you could see with the, you know, with the personal fund payment, there were, it was more of a focus on, you know, helping households first necessarily helping institutions, which is the policy reaction we saw at the at the end of the last financial crisis, right? It was about institutions, and then unfortunately austerity politics and the knock on effect. By working with people and seeing the lived experiences, now what's happened over the past you know year and a half, how important it is to continue to kind of put pressure on you know policy level to make sure that those types of that kind of mindset. Carries forward and also can be maybe made even more robust. So we know there were very limited support for people with debt uh, during the pandemic. And even there's a lot of confusion around the mortgage break. And those have all been uh, paired back over the last couple of months, you know, with the moratorium on, on disconnections for utility providers ending in June. Uh, you have more moratorium on evictions, you know, all of that. And, and there are people being left, you know, in a, in a very tight spot as well. So we need that kind of continued focus. I think that's really important. Um, so I yeah, sort of bring the report forward, but I still think it's very cool.
0: The report looks at the existing policies and services that are in place to support people, either in terms of, I think you have it set out with prevention, curative and remedial. So knowing where to go for information at every stage of your financial journey. Did anything mm-hmm. kind of crop out at you as being adequate or inadequate within that section? yeah sorry that
1: that's so that framework I, I have to say i borrow from the work of uh Stuart stamp and the um and some of the work he'd done at and i think he taken it from um, a policy directive at eu level and i i think it's a very it, it was it's kind of very clear way to sort of frame interventions if you will so it is you know you're, you're actually coming at the problem from, from sort of all different sides so you have sort of that preventive preventative piece which is you know education components, it's about having um, the services there. And then you have, of course, if you're in a position where you need sort of more immediate help, you know where to go. And then of course, there's that long-term, you know, helping move to insolvency. And I think that Ireland's come a long way, uh, especially with the establishment of, you know, the the ISI in 2013. And there has been obviously, probably not during COVID, but sort of an increase every year of people accessing the insolvency services of Ireland, I should say, ISI services. And I think that's really interesting and really important. And it has been, and there also seem to be some evaluation, ongoing evaluation happening within that body as well. Uh, You know, thinking about what's working in terms of the the various debt solutions they offer, can we change some of the requirements, make it more accessible, which is interesting to see. So I'd say, you know, that would be quite positive. Obviously, the work of MABS, I talked about this in the report and we've been working with MABS um, on the financial capability training money made sense now as well, which has been a really interesting and great experience just have such respect for them as an organization uh, and in that work in kind of a comparative context, you have services that are more you know you have a, a public debt advice and and recent which does a lot more than just give debt advice of course and restructuring support but you also have um that you know it is available in every county it is uh, free service and how unique that is actually in a european context uh, that we have that. i'm quite impressed with that and then kind of prevention i think it's an ongoing i know maps does a lot of work in financial education themselves you have the new uh ccpc and they do kind of workshops. They seem to be doing, you know, creating these educations, which I think is interesting. I think that work should be really expanded. Um, we would have identified some of the gaps there. But yeah, it's, it's not a one size fit all as well. You can, unless you have other really uh, important kind of widespread policy change um, that impacts all these other structural issues, like I mentioned, you know, the cost of living and, and, and housing right now being so prevalent and important, and as it has been for a number of years, but really, actually, it seems to be very strong in the national conversation, yeah. which I found you know, very, very good. And of course, you know, financial services and creating those products, or allowing for those products, um, like community banking or things that are very, that are targeting. The support for low-income people, because uh, even on financial capability, a lot of them don't necessarily look at the situation of people who are, of course, you know, low-income or marginalized. Um, that's the same maybe with standard, you know, uh, financial advice in general. It doesn't really work if people are on really limited and restrictive incomes. So you have to you have to approach it in a really holistic way. Um,
0: I, uh, that's that's a big issue for me how do you with with the best will in the world with the the best financial capability training in the world somebody on 203 euro a week has very limited option and with the best budgeting will in the world will not make that go any further than it will go and the difficulty i think there as well is that the access you have to financial products tend to be limited the lower mm-hmm. income you have and something caught my eye there last week I was watching that Kathy Burke money talks on the tv recently and she's talking to a woman called Claudia Hammond who's written a book and now I'll caveat this I haven't, I haven't read the book I'm just taking this from the tv program where she mentioned it but Claudia Hammond was saying that that financial stress that being constantly under financial stress lowered people's iq for the period of time that they were in this situation it actually lowered their iq which meant that the decisions you made may not have been in your best interest but you don't have a choice if you have three kids under seven and you're on a low income and your washing machine breaks you don't have that many options in terms of access to financial products so even if you were very aware and you, you know you can work out APR and you can work out you know where the best place to go for the cheapest washing machine is but you don't have access to that so mm-hmm. I, I think it does it sits within this wider systematic change that's needed because she has to go and get it on HP or you know she so she knows that by spreading her payments out over six years I think it's going to cost her a fortune by the time she's finished but she's got no choice
1: yeah, because she might, she most likely would access, you know, a higher purchase agreement with a, a retailer and she'll be paying interest at, you know, 22.99% because that's the max that they can charge without being considered a money lender of 23% or, or above. That It's a poverty tax. It is that um, therefore she might be tempted to buy, you know, not an energy efficient product right? She'd probably buy a product that's, that's low energy efficiency. So she might have to then pay more in terms of, of energy costs for running her washing machine. And then um, she might have to buy a cheaper product that's going to not last as long if she was able to, of course, get access to a better machine, a more energy efficient machine. It's, is, how, can you make, how can we understand individual decision-making without also understanding that context as well? Because it's so restrictive. To the decisions people can make
0: yeah that like debt over duress is is, a, is almost a separate mm-hmm. category on its own again you yeah. don't really have a choice and the, watching a, was a webinar recently and it, she was again she was american she was talking about medical debt and educational debt in the u.s i suppose what happens with, with a lot of debt is that it's not it's debt when you live within your means and then your means change and then it becomes problem debt and what mm-hmm. she was saying is that it's not even that you're living beyond your means you're in debt because you were denied the means in the first place so medical debt in the U.S. can can bankrupt people educational debt in the U.S. is you know Mm. six figure sums and that sort of you've no choice but to borrow you've no choice but to get into debt but what I thought was really interesting what she had said was she was railing against the term debt forgiveness because she thought I've done nothing wrong. I don't need to be forgiven. (laughs) So it's sort of changing the language, as you said, from capability and inclusion to resilience, to debt forgiveness, to, you know, just plain simple debt write-off. And I I just thought that was fantastic, the way that she structured it. She went, I don't need to be forgiven for anything here. And I know we don't have that sort of same issues here with sort of medical and educational debt, but we do still have that thing where people are borrowing because they have to, they don't have a choice.
1: Yes, definitely. And I think especially in terms of the types the the cost of credit right um so this is uh, if you are borrowing more um depending on the you know obviously what you're borrowing who you're borrowing from um but people are able to access people with more income of course are able to access you know debt at a better or loans at a better price right and that servicing um cost whereas financial institutions really do not offer you know there might be some exceptions but they really do not offer the types of really short-term immediate low-cost forms of credit that low-income souls really need you know this woman is looking to buy her washing machine she maybe needs you know 500 euro it's not Uh a massive amount but that when by the time she pays it back you know she could be paying significantly higher cost of that credit versus someone who who, you know uh, doesn't need that immediate and have that same or can space it out save over time so yeah so that's something that I think and there has been so there have been some you know you have it makes sense loans with the credit unions which I, I talked about in the report and we've actually talked about that a, a bit with the training and the people that that I've been working with and you know that's still I think only a third to maybe over a third of credit unions only offering those loans um, so it's it's still being rolled out it's still kind of in its teething phase, although I do think it's a really good initiative. It is kind of a pretty significant uh, bureaucratic and administrative weight or burden on, on credit unions themselves, which I think is a challenge for them. But yeah, hopefully, you know, if we can start thinking a bit more strategically too about having, um, yeah, ad- additional supports, community-based supports, community lend. I mean, I know there's a lot of bank restrictions and that's very difficult, but uh, yeah, because uh, anything to discourage, of course, the money lender. Um, which, which for a lot of people, of course, is their only access to credit. So it's a very important line of credit for them. So
0: the, the policy recommendations then that come out of the report you kind of touched on, I'll go down through them one by one, if that's OK, and we can maybe expand on them. It's data collection and analysis on household debt. So that was the first recommendation There's a lack of quality data on socioeconomic issues in Ireland. And that includes household debt and the use of financial products. So ideally, what would what would come out of that?
1: readily available in the public domain, more information on, for, for example, so if you go in and you check to see um, how many, you know, what's the, what's the scope of kind of credit card use um, in, in Ireland, you'd get, you wouldn't get the number of people with credit cards, you get the number of credit card accounts that are open, uh, so it's a real um, it's a, it's a big difference because, of course, there can be people with multiple parts. Uh, and then it's the same when you look at. Uh, so it, just in terms of what, accessing certain products, I found when I was doing the research, it's very difficult to get really good information without, um, of course, then going to the European context um, in terms of you know the European um survey in income and living conditions and the EQLS versus European quality of life survey. So they would have a lot more, and that would be more of the situational, um, the experience, more information on that come from Europe. In Ireland, you do have a number of, there are a few national surveys as well. And so you have, you know, the um, household Financing inclusion survey that's every five years, I believe. So it was done again and, and released in, uh, 2020, I think with the survey having been done in 2018, which offered some great insight. But yeah, on the whole, I think Ireland can do, should do a lot more uh, to kind of release that data. And so we can get, and I mean it is an issue I found across sort of the policy sector. I don't think it's just unique to uh, financial access, but I I do think that that's something that can be done, you know, in line with best practice in in other uh, countries as well, because there it is just seems like, and but I have to say, I found maps very, interesting and, and, and I think an important resource for people that are interested in like researching this area because although it's just new clients to MAPS it still helps build that profile you know the types of debts that are there um, who's accessing these services while their occupation because yeah, I think that's you know you can't really make strong recommendations without that data to
0: back it up unfortunately. Over indebtedness and problem debt is right the way across the socioeconomic spectrum so Somebody on a a good wage may have committed most of that to some sort of loan payment or a car payment or mortgage debt. So so as you said, you can't make policies if you're just looking at one section and and extrapolating that out and saying, well, this is everybody. It It doesn't really work like that. You mentioned insolvency before, so your second recommendation then was more information and flexibility concerning insolvency Mm -hmm. options. So again, what would you look to see there?
1: I think, and I do think there has been some progress on that uh, since the report came out, but...
0: know for example you have
1: the four different policy solutions uh, excuse me debt debt solutions I won't say debt forgiveness I will say debt write-off solutions (laughs) Uh, and you know one for DRNs which is the debt relief notice that really targets people who are you know um, on social welfare with very limited amount of assets Um, that's a three-year commitment as um, bankruptcy is one year you know so that sort of is there a way that we can maybe have only one year for debt relief. note. I, I don't know. That would be kind of very practical and it would be, I wouldn't be you know, a massive expert in, in sort of insolvency, but wouldn't that help You know, open those and make it more approach, make it more of an option for people that might be able to um, access that, that solution. Uh, I also think there probably needs to be more knowledge about those services. Um, Cause it has been a very slow, I'd say tick, take up of, of the services since they were introduced. But you know, that might just be the time as well it takes. Um, so so yeah, I think there's probably a few things there that could be expanded to make it easier for people to access. And then, I mean, I know there's, so the, for example, there's their while scheme. So giving people a voucher to, to access it. Uh, I think that's a, uh, another recommendation I, I made, if I recall, so try to streamlining that service within MABS are kind of having more because I, I that was a feedback for some of the money advisors I spoke with. They don't really know when someone who has been using their services is then switched over to the uh, to a personal insolvency practitioner and is getting support through eyesight. They don't necessarily know what's happening there. It's sort of like it's because it's a whole new experience. So they would love to be able to, you know, continue to price the board to know what's going on and know the person still has that. Um, those services there uh, to help them, even though they're kind of out of the MAB system. So yeah, I think that was something that came in the conversations with the advisors. If I'm, I'm remembering correctly, and then also just some recommendations from some other academics I had looked at in their work. But yeah, I think it'd be useful. But it, I understand. At the same time, I'm very understanding that it's a new system and that it's you know not even ten years old and um, probably has, it's still working itself out.
0: You have then recommendation three is better coordination of national debt support services. So again, what would you like to see there? What came out of that?
1: Ensure that there's more maybe communication between the two um, services, just because of that seemed to come up. And I, I think that is happening more, especially as you have the improved intermediaries, which are the which are of course tasked with approving the, the debt relief notices. You know that's within the MAPS mechanism. Um, I believe that that has a number of them on staff and to offer support. So I think that's happening. Um, that coordination is happening, and when we talk, so we have a session in the trainings actually that we talk about, you know, national supports and services, and one a lot of people aren't aware of Insolvency Services of Ireland or what they do. I, I don't think any kind of participant we had so far in the kind of run has had sort of not prior knowledge, but um, it, it's also about what I would say the kind of recommendation I made and that was you know independent and uh, I'd say to go to MAP if you're and you think you might need to access that support to go to MAPs first and then have MAP, MAPs help you navigate the PIPs process because uh, I think that um, that just seemed from what I heard sort of anecdotally again a lot of it's anecdotal that seemed to be a, just a good course of action if you, they can help under help you understand you know whether or not you one of these solutions might be right for you and then of course if it is for example the, the PIA, you know, access the Oahu scheme, or if it's a debt relief notice, you can do that, you know, in house as you with Maps. So it is something I think is happening, and it just—I I just think that Maps should be the first protocol. I, 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 from what I've seen, even a bit biased, but because uh, just the services they offer are, are so
0: outstanding, we should, but, we should have a disclaimer, awesome. right? That you, this is not a paid for production by the <laughs> 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 way. Well, I think that as a registered charity, uh, that they haven't they haven't endorsed yeah, I, or, or bought your services, um, but no, it is as you said, it, it's good to get that message out there that there are supports available, no matter. And I, I think that's the key thing as well, no matter where you are on the socioeconomic spectrum, no matter where you are in your debt journey, no matter whether you think it's unsolvable or whether you think it's only a tiny thing, the the, the mental health impacts, I think, the anxiety of living with issues that you don't know how to deal with, I think can be very overwhelming. So as you said, that there, there are supports out there. It's really, really important that people access them. Your next recommendation then is consumer protection and regulation of financial products. So what sort of stuff crops up in that financial consumer protection? I think I kind of went into that framework because I found it really interesting. might've been a bit of a
1: tangent there, but um, I do think, I just think that there should be more uh, you know financial it shouldn't be really you shouldn't need to have really expert knowledge or to navigate the financial landscape there should be and I, I do think in terms of access to public information uh, you could say for example Brexit the impact of Brexit on shipping costs on post set at least each one a leaflet to everyone's store that really broke down very clearly what it means in terms of the changes made to that as of the 1st of July and how it will impact if you are shopping and buying a product from outside of Europe. And from there, now for the past, how many months since Brexit came in, a lot of consumers have struggled if they are shopping online, you know, to understand when they might be charged, you know, an excise duty, a, a tax on that product when it comes in, it wasn't always clear. And that's probably because, you know, wasn't, didn't really understand, no one really understood how it was going to work came in, into effect. Uh, so there is so there is access to kind of sort of information and the likes of the ccpc and citizens information of course have really good uh information on um you know some of your rights example around different forms of credit so your rights around a higher purchase agreement you know do you know you have you know a a, a short window i think of 10 to 14 days to change your mind after you enter in that you know do you understand with higher purchase that you don't own the product until you finish you know so the information is there it's just it is kind of you rely on the bodies to provide them this is you know the critique of the wider system as well mm-hmm. and so but if someone's in that panic situation if they're there they need access to that to that machine you know they might not um that they're not going to get that information necessarily from the creditor right uh you know they might not or they, they would but it's fine print and they're not yeah. you know um paying that close attention for really understandable reasons of panic and all of that yeah, kind of continuing to hold, the especially in the introduction, new ways of, uh, of you know, shopping on credit, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think that needs to be, I don't mean to call it higher, I think it can have its uses, but
0: it, it's just,
1: yeah, it's just an example, I think, that illustrates that.
0: It goes back to making informed choices. So as you said, the creditor will put stuff in our path and say, look, we've done our job. Mm-hmm. And, and at the same time, then, or one in four Irish adults score at or below level one for numeracy. At this level, a person may have problems doing simple math calculations. 42% of Irish adults score or at or below level one on using technology to solve problems and accomplish tasks. So that's really vital that if we're, you know, if the information is in front of us, but we're not really equipped to process it, there are products now where you can pay, pay across for payment on, on your phone. And that something I had read was that this is aimed at younger people and mm-hmm. that our brains do not finish really forming until we're in our mid-20s. So you are targeting impulsive young people and saying get this dress now you will look amazing on saturday night and spread the cost oh and you need to get the shoes and you need to get the bag and you can spread the cost with all the financial capability and all the financial ca- you know education in the world there is a little bit of our brains that go oh that's only going to cost me a five or a week for the next three years you know that kind of a way you know that we tend to just look what's it going to cost me now
1: yeah exactly and i i think that's Oh, yeah, it's it's, it's such a good point. And especially with young people, um, they're being targeted all the time in terms of, you know, social media, uh, It's something we we chat about during the training as well, you know, the advent of sponsored content in news outlets bombarded, especially when the economy is doing really well as well. Obviously, COVID things have shifted. But prior to that, you could really start to see lots of very attractive, you know, advertising for things like credit cards and buy now or pay later schemes and all of that. And, you know, that's intentional, right? Um, And so it's about having that awareness and also, you know, the awareness around why we might shop at certain times. I I guess we're shifting towards shopping, but like we, so we talked about this on the training. Am I an emotional spender? If I had a really, if I had a tough week, do I try, is there anything else I can, I can think of doing besides, you know, it is it you're bombarded all the time it's depending on where young people are navigating the space and then of course older oh, everyone um as well so i think that's really interesting and and just on your point there about uh the higher purchase too there was a study done by the um irish league of credit unions uh, a couple years ago on people who want credit cards uh and how much people thought their interest rate was on their credit card. And it is, it was significantly lower than what it is. Um, so just you know, and that's, that's intent. It's may may have been a, sh- a smaller rate up to your first 12 months as an in introductory offer. But then, you know, now you're, if you do miss payment, it, it's it's that's that back to that 22.99%, you know, to, keep, to basically charge the max they can to keep it under, you know, money lender rates. And yeah, that's all very intentional. Um, so it is, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's just it's a big critique of the system, I think, is is needed uh, on all these different fronts. I think it's really important.
0: I think what most of us are familiar with plain English and um, in the UK recently. Now, it's only a trial piece, but it's called plain numbers. But it's exactly that point, Amy, where you're you're showing people exactly what the cost is. So what they did was they went to. I think three or four big companies, and they asked them to make slight changes to the bill, slight changes to the way the information was presented. Mm. But what was scary about the research was exactly what you said, was people thought that they understood. So when they questioned people and they asked them five very simple questions, people thought that they understood, but that they didn't. So I think that's that's a real difficult space to be in because I think I'm making fully informed decisions I think I understand but when I actually sit down and I'm questioned on it I am making decisions based on really poor understanding and really poor because I I think a lot of it does boil down to what does it cost me every week Mm, that's really that's my bottom line that's all I'm interested in if I can make my minimum payments to my credit card and keep them off my back that's fine but you know what What they had done was they had reworded some of the credit card statements it. and it seems like you know if you continue to just pay the minimum every month it will take you to 2048 or something like that to clear your credit card and that's a whole different conversation yeah. you're kind of going oh my goodness <laughs> this thing is going to be you know, that, you know the matching shoes and bag i bought with the dress is going to cost me you know 20 quid a month for the next uh, you know i, I I'll, I'll have to retire in that outfit at the rate i'm going but again, it, it's a really interesting conversation. I think about education and do we know what we're doing half the time? And I, money is very emotional, isn't it? How we spend our money is who we are.
1: Yeah, I think, and it, it, just that if you're living week to week, paycheck to paycheck, it's even more so, right? In, in the sense, and I think there's this actually the shame and stigma as well that we were speaking about earlier. This this idea that people that are low income aren't necessarily good with their money because yeah. you know or they're making bad choices because they're not it's against it's that personal failing whereas you I like and this is something we've seen in the training and low-income people are so good at managing their money they know exactly how to budget they're on the ball in terms oh, yeah. of managing their finances and you don't need to have a lot of income to be good at managing money yeah. if that makes sense yeah. but again it, it it's definitely um so i think a lot of programs and supports that might seek to work with with um low-income adults people run their own household so would sort of almost be a bit patronizing um kind of it, you know especially something like budgeting and some of the literature around it i i found just yeah just uh, not pal. i just didn't like it i, guess. Yeah, I just found yeah. it really uh, uh, uh patronizing and just not because people come especially in something like adult education they come mm. with a suite of experiences you meet people where they are and uh yeah there's it's just been um sorry to kind of bring it to that but like it's it's been very very interesting i think we need to challenge a lot of our you know as a society our a lot of our preconceptions about some of these things
0: i I completely agree with you i think somebody who's getting by on 203 quid a week knows to the 10 cent what things cost and where their money is going you know what i mean a five or difference in your budget is the difference between having money for the meter, is, you know, hot, having hot water and heat, and I suppose going back then into the recommendations. Number five then is the expansion of the It Makes Sense lending scheme. So that's about making sure that people have access to low-cost credit. Mm-hmm. And six is monitoring the behavior of credits and, or creditors and the methods that they use to pursue clients. Was there Was there stuff that kind of cropped up that worried you or you would like to see changed? Definitely. So we, I was able to do kind of two narrative interviews with people who had access access
1: Map Services, Um, and it wasn't obviously a lot. And that had to do, of course, with how sensitive Mm -hmm. it is um, to to speak with money with people that are have gone through these experiences, and also just the kind of time frame the the project was quite tight. But both of them described, I thought, very um, harrowing experiences of their treatment by certain creditors, and. So, yeah, so that was a reflection of that. And then I also heard from the MAPS advisors. I mean, they know, I mean, these are people providing the support on the ground. They're very aware of which creditors are, are playing ball and are good to work with and which ones are just really, I think, some practice. It just sounds incredibly unethical to me. So, yeah, so that's where that recommendation kind of came out of. And it wasn't just one form of creditor over another as well. Mm-hmm. I was a bit surprised at yeah. the ring uh and there I know there's been a lot of conversation recently about uh for example vulture funds I heard a couple external to this work um mm-hmm. very very not nice stories about you know the way vulture funds were coming after people who were in distress mostly on mortgages and then other another kind of side of it that someone or people from maps told me that they were actually some of the vulture funds have been great to yeah. work with yeah. so yeah. it is it's a very convoluted sort of space. I've been really too broad of a recommendation, but um, yeah, I do think it's important.
0: And then your last one was targeted policies that address, address the structural issues related to household debt and financial well being. So we've probably touched on some of those already. Um, Talking
1: about broad, right? Uh, so yeah, I mean, so it's very important when I'm doing the training now. You know, we talk a lot about how much things cost. Mm-hmm. So just just talk about cost of living as always. You know, one of those structural things, and c- thinking about how the cost of things is going up, meanwhile the incomes are not going up, right? And, and you know, social welfare support is not uh, going up. I mean, COVID was a bit of an exception, but mm-hmm. it, providing that sort of shared space for people to even just express that, just like gosh, my childcare, you know, cost of childcare. Um, thinking about the cost of public transport. Uh, thinking about the cost of access to health services and GP services cost of education, I mean, it is, we don't have, like you said, those massive kind of debt burdens for healthcare and education, like in the U.S. and other Western, you know, mostly U.S., uh, but there are still, people are having to make really difficult choices, yes. and the next big thing from just, I think it's going to be super important, is the carbon tax, and it's something we talk about on the training, and the carbon tax and the, you know, the PSO levy for electricity uh, has gone up, A carbon tax is increased. It's only going to continue to increase. And this is going to have an impact, of course, on people, um, you know, low-income people more so than anyone. It's just just a really disproportionate burden. And we just, especially when you're thinking about it from a policy-making lens, there has to be, I think, more innovative solutions um, because, yeah, that's just going to continue to burden people and, you know,
0: it's going to lead to more problem debt. The last piece then was... To develop a financial capability training program which you have done and are delivering on. Yes, so we've developed, we've kind of started working with our first, so it's been two
1: consecutive cycles of that. So it's called Money Made Sense, and we've been running it in partnership with Northside Partnership, so uh, the local development organization in, oh gosh, Dublin 5 and 13, I think is their catchment, okay, um, North Dublin, and then with MABS as well. Um, so that's that we started working with our first cohort of participants in October 2020 and we're actually just this very week finished with our second um, kind of ending the second cycle of participants so we've had we're going to have three cycles so there'll be a third um, and we've had four groups within each of the two cycles thus far mm-hmm. and all of the training has been delivered via zoom. I had some time obviously before report was released in, in March and then of spending a few months there really sort of developing the training in, in, for that launch in the autumn of last year.
0: What has come out of that? Have you seen what works, what doesn't work? And as you said, sometimes the, the approach can be, well, if we just teach these poor people how to manage their money, they, you know, they'll be fine. There's the theory and then there's the lived reality has, has, and they should inform each other at all times, wherever possible. So what has come out of the training sessions you think that, it's important.
1: So many things. It's been just a really great uh, learning experience for, for me. So so the approach we took, maybe I could start there. Approach really was, again, it's that contextual, it's that structural lens. So we talk a lot. We don't just, it's not just about individual financial advice. That's not really what the training does. Um, just as even maybe to start with the way it's structured, so there's a group session component. So people come together online for group sessions, and then they also are receiving bespoke kind of one-on-one support with the MABS financial coach. They're called. Okay. It's not they're not in that money advisor role, mm-hmm. but they are a financial coach. So they have um, so they support the program. So each of the participants gets that one-on-one time, that planning coaching experience uh, with with the um, the financial coach who is a money advisor from, from MAPS. And I would be the facilitator of the group trainings. Um, and it is very, it's based on um, the work, the research itself. And then, so from that research, we kind of, I went in and broke down maybe 12 sort of core uh, themes and issues to cover, um, I, I won't list them all. But one of them is, I think is really important is actually financial well-being in Ireland. So we talk a lot about the structural issues because one of the key themes or objectives really is to have people thinking or understanding that you can only make certain choices yeah. in a certain how much that our context and our policy structure and our all these different things impact our own capability to make choices and COVID has been a, a, you know it would definitely put a spanner in the works in terms of pro- program delivery training delivery but it's also been just a, an amazing um example of how things happen that are completely unexpected beyond our control and they are having such a big impact on people's financial decision making and has and has been since you know the pandemic started and uh, particularly with people who have um you know lost income or uh you know having to deal with with less income so it's you know, you know the other side of it which I, I you know people able to build some bit of savings that they might not have been able to because they're spending less or they got they saw an increase in uh, wage with the the PP but I would say that's a, that's more exceptional than mm-hmm. I think we need to pay paying a lot more attention to the other cohort which mm-hmm. is, is really struggling right now and has yeah. seen complete devastation of, of livelihood and so so yeah so it's that that folks too and then of course we do talk about financial man, money management talk about the cost of credit we talk about debt talk about utilities and actually climate change, which is a key theme that I really wanted to include just because again, it's having such, it will continue to have such an impact on people, the way we consume energy in, in our homes, the way we set up our homes, and of course the carbon tax pact that's having. And we also look at, you know, moving through online spaces, protecting our, you know, protecting information online and, you know, services, ways to maybe maximize income. Although I would say participants are very well aware of, of maximizing income. Yeah. Uh, for the most part so yeah so sorry but yeah really kind of holistic approach and then yes in having MAM supports it's been really great it's you know working with Northside has been really great to kind of access their cashment. Uh so yeah we definitely hope to take it forward as well to to find ways to apply the training in different settings and also um, with with new groups and maybe new targeted groups in different spaces but yeah a lot that's come out
0: yeah and I suppose just to pick up on that thing where you said where a lot of these people already have a lot of this they have this bit of income maximization you know down pat. i've, I've covered that off what do you think changed for the people who were attending these programs what do you think that they took as you said if we've gone in with a preconceived idea of what people need and they've turned around and said well actually no i can already do all of that what learnings did did come out of it what did people actually get out of the training
1: So, yeah, we've actually been doing a continuous evaluation uh, task since started. Now, I've been sort of excluded from that because, of course, it was But I know in terms of reports and things that I've read. um, One, I think, and maybe I can speak for my own, what I think is happening is that peer space actually has been really important. People being able to connect on different, so utilities, I think, is a really good example. So, we have, we provide that space for people to be like, look, I've, trying to get a hold of, I won't name it, shame, mm-hmm. and shame the utility provider and I'm having, I'm finding it really difficult and something like, oh, you know, I've actually found their chat much better than trying to get them on the phone, you yes. know, so that, so people sharing that within that space um, and then you just, I think it, it's really varied. We've been able to run the training with people from all sorts of different mm-hmm. circumstances, so the kind of prerequisite, if you would, um, was that people had to be, uh, considered making less than living wage in okay. Dublin where they lived to take part. And so we, we targeted single parents. We've actually had quite a few single parents take part in the program and then low-income um, adults in work. But it, we've had, of course, with COVID, lots of uh, adults who had recently lost employment or furloughed. And we've also had a couple people in receipt of, you know, disability support services that were able to access the program. So it's and others that maybe are still working, working part-time, have a good bit of savings their goals really just to you know look into uh buying a house or you know uh, they may have more sort of their goals and what they wanted to get out of the program was very different so yeah. it was a big challenge to kind of develop a structure that accommodated all that
0: yeah
1: and then still create a space where people could share those experiences but it has been i from what i've heard the feedback has been very positive thus far which is great and you know i had just an example so somebody wrote to me at the end of the last cycle and said, you know, I just want to thank you. You know, I, I had, I had my car, I was able to refinance my car loan. I was with a higher purchase. And then I, I saw that the credit union actually was offering a lower cost loan and I switched and I'm just, it saved my monthly payments. It's actually, it's going to save me money overall. I'm just, I would never have the confidence or the, the kind of, I wouldn't have been aware uh, that I could do that. And that's something I need from the program so you know I want to thank you that just really basic yeah. that confidence that kind of um you know that sense of that there is an element of a control I can have and there's also I think kind of almost freedom of saying I can't control everything right because it, it is a context that's so restrictive um I when we talk about how expensive it is to live in Dublin how how um you know how challenging it is at times and and yeah so there's there's an element that you know we can't really you know unfor- unfortunately change but there are things that maybe i can do to change a little bit uh so that was just like that was an example of very um i was very happy to, to read that that she, that she had gotten that out of the the program um it's really simple practical it's like great you know that's like that's that's what we want you know uh, the only final comment of the report kind of linking back to report itself and the recommendations is so, for example, we had a woman who was uh, on the training who was telling us that she, prior to COVID, she had been on the household budget scheme. I don't know if you're aware of that scheme through on post where you can, people in, who are on receipt of social welfare can get a percentage up to 25% of their uh, social welfare payment taken at source and applied to their, their you know, rent with the local authority. A few you know utilities providers, actually, it makes sense loan repayment if they had that. Um, But that was only for social welfare payments, um, social welfare recipients who are in receipt of cash transfers. So when COVID hit, she switched to an online receipt and she was under the impression that her local authority rent was still being withdrawn from source. And it wasn't and she wasn't she had no awareness and she fell into arrears that that kind of claiming of structural issues, but policy decisions having a real impact. On people and, and just to further emphasize that and how important it is because uh, uh, yeah that's something that I know I just it's just a very uh, an example of just someone who was had to go in a really sticky circumstance of completely not her fault so yeah things like that have come across a lot in in the training it's just you know trying to capture that too which is what I'm trying to do at the moment really trying to capture all that learning so
0: no, um, that, that, I think that that's really the key though isn't it is how policy impacts people's lived reality how A change here the ripple effect
1: because i'm guessing with covid a lot of a lot of social transfers moved online um
0: and the blame was on and i
1: can even just see with with this one circumstance, like, why didn't you just notice that you know you weren't getting it's just it's such a harmful uh it's completely the wrong approach i think it would be so fundamentally against that a lot of times with debt and you might have seen this too is it's a real talking even to researchers it's like a real like okay you're over indebted if you can't pay uh, or if you have over like a third of your disposable income it's going to debt so it's a really like quantitative kind of very narrow lens on debt but i found it really refreshing actually talking to you because you have a similar very kind of um more holistic and understanding of debt linked to all these other really important things and we can't just of course leave leave debt over here in a little pocket and not talk about you know these other you know whether it's financial capability structural issues all of those things policy
0: decisions uh, so yeah i found that great really refreshing Um, thank you very much thank you for listening to this podcast i hope you found it useful if you have any ideas for future podcasts feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your ideas and suggestions until next time stay safe